Hi everyone, welcome to episode 3 of the Israel Podcast. I'm Avishai Ben Sasson Gordis, and today I'll be discussing a question asked by some of our listeners. Why is Israel's military more moderate than its politicians? In the last few weeks, the streets of Israel were plastered with campaign ads crying to save the IDF. If you happened to visit Israel a decade and a half ago when the call went out to politicians to let Sahel win, you may have been excused if you thought that the new campaign about saving the army was a cry for more use of force against terror. But you would have been wrong. This is a campaign led by a subsection of the religious national sector against the army, following a series of progressive moves on the part of the Israeli High Command to integrate women into combat units and other roles. How and why this became an issue for those religious Zionists is a conversation for another day. Today I'd like to focus on something else this story reveals, and that is that not for the first time, the Israeli security establishment ends up on what Americans would identify as the liberal side of the political divide. This is by no means a new phenomenon. Last year, the majority whip, M.K. David Bitan, said the following in a public event. There is something about the position of Mossad and Shin Bet chief, something that makes them lefties. Lefties being the ultimate insult in today's Israeli politics. The same Bitan, by the way, lashed yesterday at a Knesset committee at the family of a fallen soldier from the 2014 Gaza War who critiqued him. But let's get back on track. An overwhelming majority of former heads of Israeli security have come out against government policies, policies that they themselves sometimes helped implement. And some of them, notably legendary Mossad chief Meir Dagan and Shin Bet chief Yuval Diskin, have spoken in very harsh terms against Netanyahu personally. The range of issues on which the security community in Israel could be considered quote-unquote moderate is wide. First on social issues, the army has been traditionally open to LGBTQ. While in some combat units there is sometimes still a stigma involved with coming out, this is gradually decreasing with some units, in the intelligence corps especially, being famous for their acceptance of LGBT soldiers and officers, including those with same-sex families. Highest possible ranks not excluded. The Israeli military has been officially accepting of LGBT individuals long before Don't Ask, Don't Tell was done away with in the U.S. Israel is sometimes blamed for using this for pinkwashing purposes, but the fact stands. The IDF is more liberal than the average Israeli on LGBTQ issues. Recent spats between IDF High Command and religious leaders have focused on this issue as well as on the integration of women and the general positive approach the High Command tries to instill, to varying degrees of success, towards causes linked to the feminist movement. And while Tzahal has been known to take a fairly liberal stance on social issues specifically, this is not the only area where it's considered more moderate than the political system. This extends to matters of national security as well. The two most notable issues are the Israeli response to the Iranian nuclear program and the conflict with the Palestinians. On the Iranian issue, it is by now a well-established fact that the heads of the Israeli security community, IDF and its intelligence corps, Mossad and Shin Bet, all argued against a military strike in Iran, contra Netanyahu's strong push for it. Without their support, Netanyahu found it hard to convince other cabinet ministers of the wisdom of such action. The security leadership also seemed to wince at Netanyahu's alarmist tone regarding the issue, with its constant reference to the Holocaust. Finally, while the official Israeli intelligence community was careful to express its reservations with the Iran deal struck by the Obama administration, 
those were nowhere near the denouncements of the deal coming from the political system. Many past security officials have even come out squarely in favor of the deal. Finally, since the deal, several leaders of Israeli security apparatus have stated that Israel faces no existential threat, thus responding to the political refrain that Iran was exactly such a threat. The second issue on which the security establishment, and more pronouncedly its former members, seemed to stand to the left of the political system is the Palestinian issue. About a month ago, the most recent former head of the Mossad, Tamil Pardo, argued that Israel's policy on the Palestinian issue was extremely nearsighted, and that absent to deal with the Palestinians, the entire situation is a ticking time bomb. This might seem like a fairly standard position in the discourse about the Israeli-Palestinian situation, but coming from a Mossad head, appointed by Netanyahu and serving under him, this is a challenge to the current creed that guides Israeli policy on the matter, which holds that the status quo is preferable to any of its alternatives. Even the recently retired head of the Shin Bet, Yoram Cohen, a religious Zionist himself, said in an interview to the right-wing newspaper Makowi Shon, Israel's Wall Street Journal to Aritz's New York Times, that Israel should curtail settlement building because separation from the Palestinians is a core national interest, and settlements make it harder to implement. Responses from the paper's regular pundits, and even the interviewer, made it clear that even such a modest proposal was contentious. Pardo and Cohen thus joined recent chiefs of staff and their own predecessors on this point, not to mention the famous documentary The Gatekeepers that came out in 2012, in which six former Shin Bet heads spoke against the occupation. Since I'm still working on a website for the podcast, I link for all of these statements in the comments on my personal Facebook page and on the podcast SoundCloud page. The divide between the political and the security echelons seeps into matters of daily conduct, with ministers and members of Knesset calling for a ruthless approach to the Palestinian terror wave that began in late 2015, and the army, with the support of Netanyahu and then-Defense Minister Yalon, holding back against calls to use more force and indiscriminate punishment methods. The matter finally came to a head with the trial of Elora Zaria, the soldier who executed a neutralized terrorist in Hebron last year. Azaria was caught on tape and put to trial for manslaughter, with many in the political system expressing support for him and outrage against the military for trying him. After his conviction, this January, calls immediately came out to pardon him. In the process of supporting Azaria, politicians and members of the public both explicitly and implicitly harshly criticized the army and its chief of staff, Eisenkot, for pursuing the case. Similar criticisms were voiced against the Shin Bet for its treatment of Jewish terror suspects it was investigating for the murder of the Dawabsha family in the summer of 2015. It's important to note that despite these cases, public trust, among Jews at least, in the military remains high. The Israel Democracy Institute runs an annual democracy survey where, among other things, they ask about trust in public institutions. Within the Jewish population, Trust in the military was at 90% in 2016, far ahead of the next institution in line, which was the presidency, was 68%. Among the Arab population, trust in the IDF is second to the Supreme Court, with the court at 52% and the IDF at 32%. It remains to be seen what the data for 2017 looks like. Now that we know in what ways the military is more moderate than the government, it's worth asking why this is the case. Here we can speak of four main explanations. First, we have personal issues. Second, professionals versus ideologues. 
third, organizational culture, and fourth, old versus new elites. The first explanation was best laid out in a piece published in Political last year by the fantastic journalist Amil Tibun, whom you should follow on Twitter. Tibun argues that this gap we've been discussing has a uniquely personal aspect to it, with Netanyahu feeling that since he first became prime minister in 1996, the security establishment has been in his way. He thus seeks to weaken it, so it no longer threatens his political prospects. And Tibun argues he's been quite successful at it. This is a compelling picture, but it still assumes that there are differences of substance between the camps, and it doesn't by itself explain why the security establishment seems to be at odds with the entire Israeli right, and not just with Netanyahu. Tibun addresses these issues, and I recommend you read his piece, but for now, let's leave it at that. The second explanation is that the security experts are somehow more informed about the issues than the politicians are, or than the public to which the politicians are responding is. That is, if we return to David Bitan's quote from earlier about something happening to the heads of the organizations, then that something would be an encounter with reality. Those who have faced the challenges posed by the occupation, this explanation goes, had to acknowledge its futility, and were forced out of their ideological stances. Those who know the privileged information about Iran or the Palestinians can take the positions available to politicians vying with each other on who will produce a stronger and more provocative soundbite. Another element of this is that while politicians have to contend with the entire spectrum of political opinions and identities in Israel, placating religious groups, right-wing groups, and all other manner of constituents, the military as well as other security organizations is hierarchical and more homogenous, and so can afford to take positions that account less for public opinion. A third explanation is that it's not about responding to the world as much as it is a process of acculturation. It isn't necessarily that security experts know something others don't. It's just that the pressures of 20 or 30 years in the system will push everyone towards moderation, regardless of how they came in. In Bataan's view, this something that happens is just being in these organizations. You can start as far right as you would like, but the social pressures will move you to the center, and it's going to remain this way regardless of who comes in through the doors. The fourth and final explanation is that what we're seeing is the demise of old elites. Unlike politics, where the turnover rate is quite high, those in the higher echelons of the army, Mossad or Shin Bet, started out 30 years ago when Israel was to the left of where it is today. With the rising number of national religious officers in the ranks, traditionally from right-wing and pro-settler background, once a small minority and today the lion's share of combat officers, we're headed towards a change in this atmosphere. I don't have an answer as to which of these explanations is the correct one. It's probably some combination of the four of them. Anyway, time will tell. As more officers from right-wing background rise through the ranks, we'll be able to see if the traditional moderation of Israel's security community persists or flips. While I haven't really given you a decisive answer to the question I opened with, I hope this does shed some light on the issue and how it reverberates through Israeli politics. Join me again in two weeks and feel free to continue the conversation on my Facebook page or on SoundCloud, where I'll be posting the links I mentioned throughout. You can also follow me on Twitter at AvishaiBSG. Until next time.